Welcome to Salem Chapel Online. Man, I'm so glad that um, you're able to join us this morning. You know that if, if you've been with us in the past, we've actually been walking verse by verse through Psalm 27 in a series called Heart of the Lion. And we're going to pause that today, and Johnny's going to pick that up next week. But we're going to stay in the Psalms. We're going to actually be in Psalm 143 today. So I encourage you just to, to take your Bibles and to turn there. But, you know, the more that I have found that I experience life the more that I have come to just love the Psalms. One of the reasons, and I think Dane Ortland, who I found this quote, really describes it well, he, he puts it this way. He says, the Psalms are not written for experts. They're written for ordinary Christians leading ordinary lives, lives that are marked by depression or discouragement or despair or frustration or maybe even numbness towards God or anger towards others. You know, we all experience afflictions. Like real pain and suffering is we have to live in a broken world. And, and David was no different. I mean, I want you to just look and, and really listen as I read Psalm 143, because David's raw expression here um, is real. And I want you to also listen to the places that he goes for refuge. It says this, hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder your work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me. Least I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. For in you I trust. Make me know the way that I should go. For to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. You will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. So just for a bit of context, David is running and hiding once again. And most commentators think that he's actually running from Absalom. So Absalom is his son. And I can't imagine what it must be like that you're actually at a place where you're running for your life from your son. So regardless of, of who it is that's actually chasing him, this is a prayer of David as he faces these afflictions in these particular circumstances. And here he finds himself in a cave once again. And listen, for us... Like, I don't know what afflictions you're facing. I, I don't know if it's this virus. I don't know if what you're facing is the economic impact of all of this. Or maybe, maybe what you're facing is something entirely different. I mean, maybe for you, your affliction is just a failing marriage. Or maybe it's other health issues. For some of you, I'm going to guess that this time you have never been like more alone. And for some, I, I know that 
that it could just be your anger. Your anger is destroying both you and those around you. And for others, maybe anxiety is just this constant in your life. And, and everything that's happening in our world right now just uh, affirms what you already feel. You know, these afflictions that we face as a reality of our humanity, and they, they present themselves both as physical and emotional. They're hard things. And as we experience affliction, it is just natural for us to desire a place of refuge. Like we want a place that's safe. You know, needing a, a refuge, a place that's safe, it's just a consequence of the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned, um, what's the very first thing they did? Like they hid. And then suddenly they experienced the affliction of their sin and they didn't seek refuge in the Lord, but actually what they do is they, they run to the bushes. And here, as I said, David is at a cave. But you and I, like we're no different. When affliction happens, we're all going to go somewhere. Just the question becomes where it is that we're going to go. I want to ask you a couple questions that helps maybe illustrate and, and even frame our time together. I want you to think about this for just a minute. Where do you go? What do you look to? Or what people or places become your refuge when you face affliction? And the way that you can answer those questions is by asking yourself this, like what place if I go to begins to feel like an escape? Or what things might I attach myself to that feels like they're going to provide some kind of relief for me? Or what, maybe what, what people do you run to that, that, that those people actually give you some kind of sense of refuge? You know, it's really, really easy to convince ourselves that either a person, a place, or some kind of thing is going to deliver us a refuge. But the question is, is that even true? never forget in 2005 um, when I was living in Southwest Florida and Hurricane Wilma uh, made landfall on the island that I was living in. Um, in the midst of that storm, as the storm passed over the island uh, and, the, and the eye was on top of us, it gets, it gets eerily quiet in the middle of the eye. And what we discovered was there was a gentleman who decided that it was an appropriate time for him to go outside and just kind of experience what it was like to be in the eye. But unfortunately, what happens is the back of the eye wall started to make landfall. That part of the storm often is significantly more dangerous than even uh, the front wall of the hurricane. And he found himself needing to find a place of refuge. He was looking for a shelter. And the closest and quickest place that he could find was one of those, those glass enclosures that they attached to the outside of a bank and they often put around an ATM. And I'll never forget him, him calling in desperation for him to be rescued. You know, if you think about it, the place that he chose to go was certainly a refuge, but it didn't provide for him real safety at all. And I want to ask ourselves this question. Where do you actually find real refuge? Now, I'm going to guess this. If you're a Christian, you're probably saying, like, God is my refuge. You just know that that's the answer we're supposed to give. But, but there's a couple of questions that I think are helpful for us to ask if, if we're really going to dig deeper at our need for a refuge and what it looks like for us to have a refuge in God. So for me, this is the question I ask like when I read a text like this. Like where or why rather is God my refuge? Why is, why is that something I can trust and believe in? But then the second thing is also very important to me. 
And it's how do I experience God as my refuge? You know, when David writes in the Psalms, in many Psalms, including this one, he talks about the steadfast love of God as the the person and place that he finds his refuge. In fact, he says it twice in this text alone. In verse eight, he says, so let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. And then in verse 12, he says, and in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. Man, as I thought about um, what, what steadfast love looks like, I want, to, I want to know that, I want to believe that, I want to be able to experience that. But if we're going to understand what the steadfast love of God is, we actually have to begin by defining it. So let me give you the definition for, for steadfast love. See, steadfast love is God's unfailing, unrelenting, covenant love towards us. Here's what that means. God's steadfast love is this one-way promise. It, it, it does nothing that requires your effort to obtain it. It does nothing for you to maintain it. You didn't earn God's steadfast love. You don't, you don't keep God's steadfast love through your efforts. No, I want to encourage you to know that it's been fully and freely and finally secured for you because Jesus accomplished for you what you could not do when you placed your faith in him. And so why is God our refuge? Well, because David understood just in part what we know in full. God's steadfast love is our refuge because Jesus Christ has rescued us from the greatest affliction that we will ever face, which is the consequence of our sin. And man, this morning, if you've never placed your faith or your trust in Christ, then then whatever it is that you're looking to for refuge is always going to fail to deliver what you hope that place you've looked for as a place of refuge will provide to you. So as we go through um, this psalm this morning, I just want to want to have you hold on to this one statement. I, I hope that, that this statement is something that you um, just take and allow it to really comfort your soul. And it's this, because of God's steadfast love, we actually have a refuge in our afflictions, like all of our afflictions, whatever that looks like for you um, this morning. Now, we know this, just because you're a Christ follower, that does not exempt you from any affliction. As a matter of fact, it's, it's almost guaranteed that, that in this life and as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to face affliction. And so God has provided his steadfast love for you. But then we have to ask the second question, like how do I experience God's refuge as an actual reality in my life? I think it's a valid question because, see, there might be for you, and there has been for me at different times in my life, kind of a disconnect between what you know is true and how you actually experience that on a day-to-day basis. So think about this. Well, while what we do, the actions we take, those things don't determine God's steadfast love for you. But how we posture ourselves in response to his steadfast love, that impacts how we're going to experience God's refuge. And so when you are tempted, when Aaron is tempted to look for refuge in other places, I just want you to consider um, how we can imitate David's postures. So what we're going to look at in this text is just three postures that, that we see that David takes that, 
that will help us to, to imitate and experience the refuge that we already have because of God's steadfast love. Here's this first posture I just wanna, I wanna put out there for us. It's that we need to be in a posture that is persistent in prayer to God. If you look back at the text in verses uh, one and seven and eight and nine, he consistently has this persistent in his prayer to God. He says things like, hear my prayer, answer me, let me hear, deliver me. Like this psalm is at its core, just a, a persistent prayer. You know, in his affliction, David, and really for us as well, I mean, he just pleads with God. And here's the reason. Because prayer pours out what's in your heart to the Lord. Like, I'm going to guess this. It is a safe bet to say that at some point in your life, you have experienced so much angst that you've been overwhelmed. Maybe that's where you're at today. Like maybe right now, as we've gone through these last several months, you've just found yourself in a place where, where what's in your soul has been hard for you to describe. But you know that you're experiencing these emotions. I love how David puts this actually in verse three and four when he kind of describes how it is that he's feeling. He says, for my enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. Man, have you ever felt like that? Like you've been pursued? Have you ever felt like, like life is actually just crushing you? It goes on to say, he has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I've had times where life has felt in the middle of whatever it is that I'm being afflicted by as absolute and complete darkness. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. God, my spirit has fainted. I've been at a place where I've actually been appalled. And, and maybe that's um, some words that David has used that describe where you're at as well. So let me ask you a question. Where do you take the motions, the emotions that you're experiencing? And can I be honest with you that I have got to tell you that a lot of times and, and way too often, um, this is just true. I vent to my wife or I vent to my friends or I even, I even vent a lot of times to myself. You know that, that voice you have of the internal complaining where what we do is we just constantly rehash what's wrong and the, the only thing that that really delivers us to is, is more anger or we start to begin discouraged or we begin to look at life as though, man, th this is hopeless. We're never going to get out of this. For me, I describe it this way. It, it kind of feels like I'm descending down a spiral staircase that actually has no bottom in sight, right? Can you get that visual? It just feels like I'm going down and down deeper. And, and I don't know where the bottom of that is at. And, and maybe you can relate to that. But I think that as Christians, we actually have to be cautious because we can find all sorts of venues to display like how we feel. You know this is true. Just get on social media, right? Tensions are running high. Um, tempers are getting shorter. Patience is wearing thin. And it's really easy to either go inward or to other people instead of for us to, to go vertical to the Lord. But how does persistent prayer actually then allow us to experience refuge? I want you to just consider this because 
if you think about just being persistent in a prayer to the Lord, like every morning, every night, what does that look like? Not in a, not in a legalistic way, but, but do you take your, your life and all of the things that you're experiencing and, and do you just constantly take them to the Lord? You know, it, it just puts us in a posture where we have to confess something that we can't fix whatever is going on. Like prayer in this way is actually just a posture of dependence. And I have never been more reminded than I am right now how limited I am to control anything. I mean, doesn't affliction really do that? You know, it strips us from that pride of believing our own press. Like, like it strips us from the ability to think, oh, I'm, I'm capable enough. I mean, prayer is that posture that actually leads us to a place where we experience refuge. So as I thought about this, the question that came to my mind is, like, how do you posture yourself in prayer? I don't know where you're at this morning, what your prayer life looks like, but maybe you find yourself um, just in one of those places where you're like, I, I feel like I've ran out of things to pray for. Like, I just pray consistently for, um, you know, this virus to end or my job to resume or whatever that looks like. But here's maybe a twist on something that would be very helpful. What if as followers of Christ, we started to pray what we already know was true? What if what we started to do is to pray the word of God? I mean, if you really want to experience refuge through prayer, then let's start praying what God has already said, what he's declared in his word. And so one of the ways that we can do that is, I want to encourage you, as is, is, is you look at whatever text it is, just to begin to, to notice God's power, God's presence, and God's promises that you find in the word. You know that Johnny has been encouraging us to memorize Psalm 27. What if you also started praying Psalm 27? I mean, what if you started to look for and, and see how God's power is displayed in, in that psalm? I just think about the fact that one of the things that we can do is we can just, we can just thank God. Like, God, this is who you are. This is the power that I, I see displayed. And then begin to thank God for the promises that you notice. And then God, ask God to begin to, to comfort you in places that, that you just need comforted. I mean, ultimately, what's going to happen is that, is that we continue to look at the word of God and we see the power and the presence and the promises and we pray those things and we trust those things and we thank God for those things. It actually leads us to this place where we begin to experience God's refuge. If you look at Psalm 27, just even in the very first verse, you can find all three of those. And man, I'm, I'm going to tell you that you start to, you start to pray the power, promises, and presence of God the Holy Spirit will do a work in you. He will begin to, to comfort you. You will begin to experience refuge as the truths of scripture just kind of flood over you even in the midst of your afflictions. You wanna experience refuge? Persistent prayer. But then there's a, there's a second posture that I think that David takes here in this text. And it's a posture where what he does is he goes to the Lord and he just ponders the past provisions of God. In, verse, uh, in verses five and six, look what, look what David writes. He says, I remember the days of old. I meditate in all that you have done. 
I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. We need to be persistent in prayer, but then we need to start to ponder. Let me, like, really take some time. And that comes right out of the text. Like, ponder the ways that God has provided for you in the past. David here, in the middle of his affliction, he ponders what God has done in the past. So why is it that that would be something that would be helpful for us? Like, how does that begin to lead us to a place of refuge? And here's the answer. Because when we ponder God's past work, we are reminded of God's present care for us. See, when you're, when whatever it is you're facing right now tempts you to think that, man, I just wonder if the Lord has forgotten me. Or maybe you're like this. Maybe you're in one of those places where you're thinking, like, I, I don't even know if, if, if the Lord cares for me. Then I want you to start to begin to just ponder the ways that God has provided for you in the past. There are some real tangible ways that you can go after this. I mean, think about it. Maybe you even need to write down a little bit uh, a few of the things that, that God has provided for you. I mean, first of all, if, if you're a Christ follower and you're watching even this morning, you know, God has saved you. He's rescued you. There is no, there is no greater provision that exists than our rescue and our redemption. But then I think it's also important that we begin to just ponder the ways that God has worked in, in our lives. I mean, some of those are certainly going to be some physical ways, things that you can look back in the past and you can see that God has provided. God has worked and provided for what you need and, and when you needed it. And you could think about it, even write down like, man, how has God cared for you in the past? How has God comforted you in the, in the past? How even has God disciplined you in love so that what he could do was usher you into a deeper relationship with him? Or maybe you just need to ponder how he has grown you and, and even how he, as the Lord, is continually setting his affections on you. You know, the more that you ponder the past provision, the greater you're going to experience the Lord as your refuge in the present. This past week, Jen and I had the opportunity, we were sitting with some folks and we were talking a little bit about the ways that God has provided for us in the past. And there are numerous ways, but I can think of, of two distinct um, moments in, in ministry that, that we needed God to provide and, and only he could do those. And one of the last ways was in our relocation here to Winston-Salem. And so this past week we were sitting and we just began to contemplate like all of the things that the Lord did all of the things that we could not do that was his perfect provision. And as we sat there and as we actually started to tell the stories out loud to one another and to the folks that we were sitting with, man, all of a sudden, here's what happened. We started to experience the refuge as the care and comfort of God just came over us. Maybe that's something that you need to do as well. You're in the midst of this and you're like, I'm not sure that, that God is gonna get me out of this. Whatever it is that you're facing, and maybe what you need to do is just spend some time with a friend or um, that can even be alone or you need to spend some time with your spouse and you need to start writing down and just begin to think like, no, these are the ways, these are the things, these are the provisions that the Lord has made for me in the past. 
And I know that God is my refuge because I can see the way that he has worked in the past. That's what, that's what David is doing here. He's running for his life from his son. And his answer is to remember the ways that the Lord has delivered him. So we have to be a people that are persistent in prayer. We have to be a people that go back and we, we really do ponder what the Lord has done. But then there's a third posture that I see that comes out of this text in verse 10, which is this. We have to be a people that pursue the path of obedience. Look what he writes in verse 10 when he says this. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Let me ask you a question. How do you view obedience? Like, what does that look like? Because, because maybe you believe that Christianity is actually about an alignment to some kind of moral code instead of a rescue from sin. But here's what I want you to know, that God's redemption is actually the fuel for your obedience. See, when we don't understand that, that, that God's redemptive rescue from a place that we couldn't get out of in our own sin, that you were dead in your sins and trespasses, that no one seeks after God to quote Romans. Like that's the place that you were, that you were in. And we start to understand the ways that God has redeemed us. Then, then all of a sudden our obedience becomes the response to that. But you know, we have to be careful because it's really easy to view obedience as restrictive. Like I, I'm, I don't want to just follow this Bible. Maybe that's a question you've had. Like how is that going to benefit me at all? And we start to look at it as though obedience is what God calls us to that's restrictive rather than what it actually is, which is God loving you and loving me enough to tell us what's actually best and ultimately what is the safest place that we're going to find ourselves. And I find it, find it interesting that David asks the Lord to teach him to do his will while he is in the middle of unfathomable afflictions. Have you ever thought about that? In the, in the middle of what he's experiencing, as he's hiding from his son, he says, Lord, I, I want to do your will. Like, teach me what that looks like. And then what David does is he connects doing the will of the Lord with level ground. In other words, what he's saying is that obedience to the Lord is actually my place of refuge. I've said this in, uh, in many ways, and a lot of times, if you've heard me teach, I said that that one of the easiest times to rebel against the Lord is when life is difficult. And here's the reason. Because we actually believe the lie that sin is going to satisfy us. We're convinced that, that in our disobedience, it's going to provide for us something that we desperately need or something that we desperately want. So as we think about what it looks like to um, pursue the Lord in obedience, I want to just ask some probing questions and, and maybe push on us a little bit this morning. Ask yourself this. In what ways are you tempted to disobey as you face affliction? So what ways are you tempted to disobey? Just think about that for a few minutes. But then there's a second part to this question that actually requires some, some thoughtfulness. You may have to meditate for a bit on this question, and it's this. What are you hoping your disobedience is going to deliver for you? Let me say it again. Like, what are you hoping your disobedience will deliver 
for you. Because, right, honestly, why would we disobey if we didn't believe that it was going to not deliver something that we wanted? So we think about... Um, as we think about and process um, why David would ask this, the, these things, why we need to ask these questions, why don't, we, why don't we walk through some examples that I think is going to help drive this point home. And listen, we could go a lot of places. When we talk about disobedience, we, there's, a, there's, a, there's a thousand and one different points of application. But for brevity, here's what we're going to do. I just want us to consider some of the, of the tentacles related to our collective experience with the coronavirus. So let me ask you a few questions this morning. How are you responding to other people in the midst of this virus, even in the quiet recesses of your own heart? It's a convicting question. I mean, do you want to tell everyone who disagrees with you why they're wrong? Do you find yourself to be maybe argumentative or are you impatient or are you angry? Or maybe you're finding yourself with this, this growing desire, right? That, that you want to belittle or you want to slander. You probably don't use those words, but, but the word of God does. And so we want to we slander sometimes what other people are saying. We want to speak harshly of other people. And we can become so passionate about our, our viewpoints to the place that we're actually disobedient to the Lord. But I got to share with you for me that this is personally convicting. Like, I may keep a lot of my responses eternal, and, and I do. Like, I, I keep them here, but, but inside, sometimes I can, I can be experiencing these things in my own heart. And I find myself to be, you know, internally argumentative or impatient or whatever that looks like. And then the Lord began to just convict me, even as I was working through um, this message this week. And he says, Aaron, like, are you loving others well or is your heart actually just wrestling with some of these struggles? Like, are you actually disobedient to me? And I, I get it. I, I really do. I mean, afflictions, especially in the middle of all this, they have, they have pummeled us in so many ways. There are so many, there are so many afflictions that we can talk about that, that you've experienced, that I haven't experienced, or that someone else in your household has experienced. And we're just at a place right now, as, as we're nearing the end of May, where we're tired. Like, we're just, we're just weary. We are, we are just, we're over this crisis. If you think about why we're in this spot, I mean, maybe why we're argumentative or maybe why we're impatient or, or why our anger is growing. Think about this. You know, we've just landed on some particular assumptions and beliefs about what's going on or what, what should be going on. And then what happens is when, when those collide, so when our assumptions begin to collide with other people's assessments and viewpoints of the crisis, suddenly somebody else's view just challenges my own. And it kind of brings disruption to the one place that I have looked to for refuge. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but I can, I can confess to you that that refuge for me right now is that my views are the right views. That's where I've gone for refuge. You see how that begins to work itself out in our life. So does that mean you shouldn't have an opinion about this? Like, of course not. But it should challenge us to examine if the steadfast love of the Lord is actually the person or the place that, that we find refuge. Or if you're looking about, in my own case, in Aaron's life, like have I made conclusions about my refuge? Am I defending a false refuge that I've created? One that is, 
is similar to the bushes or the cave that, that David has found himself running to. A, or the glass shelter with the, the gentleman in the hurricane. A place that for me appears safe. A place that appears like refuge but is anything but. Man, I don't know for you, but I've had to wrestle through these things for myself. I've had to really come to a place where the, the Lord has wrestled with, with me about, like, Aaron, what have you made as your refuge? And maybe this morning you're the place where that's what you need to do as well. Because maybe this morning you have not, uh, have not seen that the places you've gone for refuge and how you defend those, those places and the things that you've sought out are in any way disobedient to the Lord. I want to just kind of wrap our time up with, um, with this. See, the, refu the refuge that you desire will never be found in that disobedient heart. Like I was just reminded of that as, as, I, as I walk through this psalm. As much as I want to make other things the refuge that I run to, it's just disobedience in my heart. In fact, if you think about it, there is no other refuge that is going to satisfy you other than the fullness of Jesus himself. And so as we begin to think and even process um, Psalm 143, I just want you to consider a few things. Is your posture one of that persistent prayerfulness? Like, is that where you're seeking the refuge of the Lord? And then have you spent some time also just pondering the ways that God has taken care of you? Because maybe your expressions of anger or impatience or all of these things, maybe what that really looks like is because you're fearful. You're not in a place where you have remembered or you've forgotten that, that God and his steadfast love is actually the place that provides the greatest refuge that you actually need. And then we need to be a people that actually pursue the path of obedience. You know, if we, if we conclude and and, and and boil this text down when David talks about the steadfast love of God. That is by far the greatest refuge that you could ever experience. And it is also the place that the Lord is calling you to, to experience that refuge and then actually to be a people who rest in him. Church, let me encourage you with this. Do not seek your refuge in lesser things. You will be frustrated, you will be bitter, and you will be angry. But instead, because the gospel has changed you and transformed you, run back to what has already been given for you, which is the steadfast love fully and finally given to you because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And then today, if you've been listening maybe online for several weeks and you're not someone who has yet placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you to do that? It's very simple. We simply just call upon the Lord. Man, it is the first and simplest prayer we can pray as a new believer. Lord, I understand I'm a sinner. Lord, I understand that I have sinned and rebelled against you. God, would you save me? And the word of God has said, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and that you now are a child of God. Church, rest in the truth that the steadfast love of God is your place of refuge. Let's just pray together. Father, God, we thank you that your refuge, 
has already been given to us in the steadfast love of God. But Father, we know that so many are not experiencing the, the truth and the reality of that. And so God, I pray that, that you would continue to allow us to experience that as we, as we just become a people that rush towards you. Father, I pray that you would overwhelm us with your presence, remind us of your promises. Father, would you display your power to us? And then there, if there are some that are watching that have not yet trusted you as their personal savior, God, would you draw them to yourself? God, would you, would you save them even this morning? And God, we thank you for the work that you are doing, have done as we face this crisis and whatever it is that our life holds. Father, we love you. God, I pray that you would stir our affections for you. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.